Hey, it's Mercedes, and you're listening to the West Block podcast. This week on the West Block, heartbreak and horror. The remains of what's believed to be 215 children were found in unmarked graves. Thousands of Indigenous children died of abuse and neglect after being forced to attend residential schools across Canada. It's a dark cloud over over my life during that time. All residential school survivors knew that there are more Indigenous innocent children buried on residential school grounds across Canada. As we report from the traditional and unceded lands of the Tekemloops to Sequepam, some here believe what was discovered in those grounds behind me is leading to a national moment of reckoning. Calls to action left unanswered. So we have a lot more work to do and we're gonna keep pressuring governments to implement the TRC calls to action, to implement the MMIW, Missing Emergent Dish Women and Girls, 230 plus calls to justice, and to keep investing to close the gap. Six years in government, but have the Liberals fulfilled their promises? Independent MP and former Liberal Cabinet Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould joins me. It is dangerously misleading for the government to suggest significant progress is being made on 80% of the TRC calls to action. Endless meetings and process is no substitute for substance. And the government's response. I'll sit down with Minister of Indigenous Services, Mark Miller. The image many Canadians have of our country was deeply shaken over the past days with the traumatic discovery of an unmarked burial site of 215 children at the Kamloops Residential School in British Columbia, children as young as three years old. The painful reality of residential schools and their legacy was thrown into broad daylight, a truth Indigenous Canadians have known and suffered through its tremendous trauma, a forced reckoning with our past in this country, and the brutality and racism Indigenous children were subjected to. Is this the moment for change and action? Joining me now is former Attorney General and Minister of Justice for the Liberal Government and now Independent MP, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Wilson-Raybould. What have the past 10 days been like for you um, and for your community? I know you were home and, and you tweeted a picture out of it and we're showing that to our viewers right now. What has this been like for you? Well, thanks for showing the the picture of my community, and thanks for having me today. I, I, I mean, I have to say, like um, I'm sure every Indigenous person and Canadians across the country, it's been really tough um, the last week or so. Um, I find myself um, surprisingly feeling incredibly um, angry. Um, of course, sad with respect to the horrific relevations that came out of Kamloops, although they weren't a surprise. Um, I'm, I'm also frustrated, but it was good to be back in, in my community. And, and I recognize that there's not a single Indigenous person that um, isn't impacted by the, the legacy of, of residential schools and, and the institutions in this country. And, and uh, it's an important conversation to have. I think that there's a lot of concern that, that I've been hearing 
um, both from those who are focused on the policy file around Indigenous issues and Indigenous communities, that this is just going to be the so-called spotlight. It hits right now, and then next week, everybody forgets and goes back to their lives. We've seen Idle No More. We saw the blockades and the Wet'suwet'en protests. Does this one feel different to you? Do you feel like there has been a reckoning or a realization in Canada about residential schools this week that will lead to change? Well, I, I hope so. I am a hopeful person. Um, as you've said, there have been um, issues that have come up that have elevated uh, Indigenous uh, reconciliation, the horrific legacy of colonialism that still exists in this country today. Um, you know, it feels a bit different. And I, and I think that the difference is that um, we've had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report. We've had MMIWG's important report and Canadians are becoming more aware. I know that um, Canadians are thirsty for the, for more knowledge and, and with that I hope comes a continued effort and pressing governments to actually turn the the words into action. That's what has has caused me significant frustration and, and anger. And I know um, the same is true for many Indigenous leaders uh, across the country and Canadians. So I hope this is um, a time where we actually proceed and change words into actions. One of the defences the government has used on, on lack of action on this file has been that they're moving at the pace of communities, that, that they're allowing this to be Indigenous-led. Do you disagree with that? Do you think that that's a, a cop-out? Well, I, I, of course, um, the work of, of reconciliation, of rebuilding Indigenous nations within a stronger Canada is the important and necessary hard work that Indigenous nations need to do um, between and amongst themselves. But that's not to say that it is appropriate in any way, shape or form to offload responsibility onto Indigenous peoples. The federal government has a role to play, a fundamental role to play in creating the space for Indigenous nations to rebuild, correcting the historic wrongs that continue to exist and removing themselves out of the control of Indigenous peoples' lives as exercised through the law that's still on the book the Indian Act. The Prime Minister must show leadership. He must direct um, his government to do what he promised to do, uh, particularly what he promised to do on February the 14th in 2018. He hasn't done that and we haven't seen the necessary leadership for transformative change. And, and what exactly is that promise that, that he has not demonstrated? Where is the leadership lacking on this file in, in your opinion? Well, I, I mean, I, I would encourage people to go back and read the Prime Minister's words from, from February the 14th. It's about actually transforming the relationship between the government of Canada and Indigenous peoples in this country. And we do that by way of not denying the rights of Indigenous peoples, but actually recognizing those rights and ensuring that Indigenous peoples can be what it says in the United Nations Declaration, self-determining. And that includes self-governing. The Prime Minister made a commitment to make that transformative change, and that's done through laws, 
changing laws, policies, and the operational practices of government. He hasn't done that. You said um, in an op-ed last week that, that you feel there is a lack of political leadership on this file. And, and you're outlining that again with the prime minister here today, that, that he's not fulfilled promises that he made. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the government isn't acting? Well, I, I, I mean, I'm not... Uh, I will say, and, and I'm, I'm not one to just can criticize for the sake of criticizing, um, there have been some measures that the government has taken, but on the transformative measures that were promised, so much was promised and so little was done. Why is that the case? Well, um, because Indigenous peoples um, do not necessarily make up a significant portion of the population. We need to have the political will um, to tackle these issues, even if they don't necessarily translate into a significant number of votes for um, a party. And we're in election season, and I know that the political parties are looking for votes, but this is a human rights issue. This is a moral issue. This is is the right thing to do to tackle the reality of Indigenous peoples in this country, do away with the racist and colonial laws, and bring justice. The leader that does that, the prime minister that does that, will transform this country and address an issue that has been outstanding since Confederation. It sounds like you're saying you think that this is connected to votes. It's, it's connected to whether or not this becomes a voter issue and whether or not these are votes that the government is trying to court. But I want to ask you very specifically about some of the policies that are still affecting Indigenous children and Indigenous people in this country, um, in particular the policy of putting Indigenous children into foster care. There's, there's more Indigenous kids in foster care now uh, and in state care than there was during residential schools. Many Indigenous children still have to leave their homes if they want to go to high school and go to a big city uh, like Thunder Bay, there have been deaths at some of these schools with young teenagers. How do you reform that and how do you educate Canadians about what's actually happening still to this day, that this is not just a historic issue? Yeah, and I think it's not just a historic issue. It is um, the, the reality of the ongoing colonial legacy, the intractable legacy of residential schools in this country, as the TRC has stated, continue to exist and have been um, reinvented, so to speak, in um children in care, in custody. As you, you mentioned, statistics, over half of, of the uh, children in care are Indigenous, and Indigenous kids represent a very um, low pop measure of the population generally. Um, this is a symptom of the colonial legacy. This is um, a result of, of poverty, of marginalization, of discrimination, of thinking that we know what's best for Indigenous people. It's paternalism, taking children away from their home communities and their families because um, they need to be educated in some way um, beyond that community. This is the challenge. We need to ensure that we create the space for children to be able to remain in their homes, if appropriate, certainly, and um, have Indigenous communities and Indigenous nations be able to 
take over the so-called child welfare system. So um, children aren't removed from their homes where they, they face um, further abuses. And it's been said that uh, the child welfare system and, and putting children into foster care only leads um, or fast forwards the reality of the Indigenous uh, people becoming um, a part of the criminal justice system. And, and that's not the way we want to go. We need to focus on self-determination self-government, having Indigenous peoples have control over their children. Do you think that the government has lost the moral authority to investigate this? Because there's calls for the International Criminal Court to actually come in and take a look at whether there have been crimes against humanity in the way that Canada has treated its Indigenous people. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I think um, that the international community we can um, we see this in uh, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples certainly has a role to play in calling out the human rights abuses in this country. Um, you know, with respect to this government and this Prime Minister, um, it's not too late. It's not too late to do the right thing um, to. Um, put into action the words that you spoke, Mr. Prime Minister, on February the 14th, um, make the transformative change, change the policies that are on the books that deny the rights of Indigenous peoples and create the space for them to rebuild. This is what we need to do, stop denying rights of Indigenous peoples and enable them to rebuild their institutions of government. Does that mean getting rid of the Indian Act? Well, we need to ultimately do away with the Indian Act. Of course, this is a racist colonial piece of legislation that um, created the residential schools that still exists on the book. But we need to understand and know what is going to replace the Indian Act. And we need to create the space for that replacement, which is to provide Indigenous peoples with the ability when they're ready, willing and able, when they have rebuilt their institutions of government, developed their constitutions, determined who their citizens are, um, how they're going to govern themselves, to be able to remove themselves without the federal government playing gatekeeper to their liberation. Yes, we need to get rid of the Indian Act. And the way that we'll do that is by um, enabling empowered Indigenous nations to um, say when it's time for them to remove themselves. We don't have that mechanism in this country, and we need to put it in place in law. Jody Wilson-Rabel, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and to share your thoughts. Thank you so much for having me. Imagine what that must have felt like, Mr. Speaker. You have fought so long, so hard against colonialism. Now imagine the mounting disappointment, the all too unsurprising and familiar heartache, and the rising tide of anger when governments that had promised so much did so little to keep their word. That was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons in 2018. Now, his government faces the same questions on allegations of their own inaction for promises made to Indigenous communities. I spoke with the Prime Minister in December of 2020. Here's what he told me when I asked about the government's lack of progress on some of those key promises. The anniversary of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report uh, uh, came out and we have reached 80% uh, 
of uh, the federal uh, uh, calls to action are either completed or well underway. That is significant progress. There's a lot more to do and we're continuing to accelerate that work. Joining me now is Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller. Thank you so much for making time for us, Minister. How are you? I'm good, Mercedes. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So we appreciate you making time. We know that you're very busy. Um, but this is a really, really important topic. And it's one that your government has made a lot of promises on. And I get the sense that you feel very strongly about this personally. And it's something I've heard as well from Indigenous communities, that they feel you're coming to the table in good faith. But I'm wondering how you feel about whether you've lived up to and your government has lived up to the promises you've made to the Indigenous community to have transformational change in this country. Yeah, and, and certainly during a week like this, um, there is some time to think about the speed of reconciliation. It's a stark reminder that reconciliation is neither uh, linear or easy. It's certainly been a reminder throughout our government. We've been a government that's made historic investments financially in that transformative change, closing socioeconomic gaps. There's no one that's going to deny it. But, you know, today is, and this week has been a a reminder, a far too painful one, that uh, the truth comes before reconciliation. And right now, all eyes are on um, a residential school where atrocities were committed, and accompanying those um, those nations in their in their grieving, frankly, and in 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 the work they need to do to continue healing. So uh, that's where my mind is presently, knowing that for that to happen over the long term, we have to continue relentlessly with investments in education, housing, closing all those socioeconomic gaps that Indigenous leaders speak so eloquently about in a, in a, in a, in a context where there's very little trust towards the federal government um, that has been bred over um, over decades and centuries. And that is an impediment to progress. But I do see hope. Um, I wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't hopeful. I've seen uh, vaccination campaigns that are better than in non-Indigenous communities because we prioritize them. Uh, many Indigenous people were vaccinated before me or the Prime Minister. And that speaks well uh, to where we are as a country. But, you know, those lessons can be forgotten very easily. And um, again, this week is, a, is another stark reminder that there's a lot more truth to be uncovered for people. Minister Miller, one of the things that we've heard from Indigenous leaders is that they want to, to get rid of the Indian Act. And, and we were just speaking to Jody Wilson-Raybould, a former colleague of yours. She called the Indian Act a racist, colonialist piece of legislation. She believes it has to be eliminated. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, uh, it is. Uh, it is a. It is a legacy of a colonial government approach to ind indigenous relations. It's the present reality of many communities. Um, but I think it's important to remind viewers that attempts to eliminate it have been called termination when it's only Ottawa knows best and Ottawa dictates it from on high. Miss um, Wilson Raybould, who was instrumental in putting together a rights framework. Um, did great work with us and, and moved the ball forward significantly. But we can't just show up in treaty areas and say, Here, here's, here's our framework, um, sign on to it. It comes with deep engagement with, for example, treaty areas that have not been respected in terms of treaty rights that are considered sacred in many uh, circumstances. Long-standing claims that communities are saying to us, well, let's solve this first before you come into our communities with this piece of paper trying to figure things out because we think you'll break it. So. That trust element is um, sometimes missing. We have to be relentless in building it, and we have to prove it. Um, promises aren't enough. We have to keep proving it. And so again, there's perhaps time to reflect on the pace of reconciliation, but no one should doubt the commitment of this government that has been backed with um, the greatest financial commitments in any government in our history. I want to talk to you about 
indigenous children in the care of the state and, and education because there's actually more indigenous children in state care now than there was during residential schools and I think a lot of Canadians don't realize that uh, something I didn't realize until I read Tanya Talega's book Seven Fallen Feathers was the number of indigenous children who actually have to leave their homes and go to cities or towns nearby if they want to complete high school they're unable to do this if they stay with their families that doesn't happen to white children the same way and advocates say this is an example of how the colonial system is still marginalizing and oppressing Indigenous children. What is your government doing to reduce the number of children in state care and the number of children who are forced to leave their families if they choose to get a high school education? Yeah, I think just to, uh, as a slight tangent, people should read Ms. Talaga's book. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is so poignant and, and so well written. Um, it, it should be required reading for all Canadians. Um, you hit on it. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, we know that no court case can achieve that transformative change. Uh, we need to move forward with nations on reform of education, uh, edu reform of education according to the nation's uh, understanding of, of their own education system is not only something that's aspirational. It is proven to yield better graduation rates in Indigenous communities. Uh, Minister Bennett and I just signed an agreement with the Initiative Nation over child and family services, and they had previously signed a transformative document in around carriage of their own educational system. This is the only way out of it. It's gonna require billions of dollars of investments, whether that's new schools, and we've certainly done that over the course of our mandate, and we will continue to do so. But it goes across the board, and it isn't, you know, court cases are so back-ended, we don't wanna end there. We wanna, there's a cost to inaction, and the action that this government has put forward will carry benefits that will be seen way past sort of the political cycles that we think about. Um, but will be so transformative for the children um, growing up in their culture, which is something that's never been afforded to them and something someone like people like you and I take for granted. Minister Miller, certainly still a lot of work to be done on this file. We look forward to speaking to you again about it in the future. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the West Walk podcast. As always, I'll be back next week with the latest from Parliament Hill.